Good morning and welcome to the Hub City Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us in worship this morning. If you're new to Hub City, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like to hear more about our vision, or if you're interested in joining one of our serve teams, you can visit our website, thehubcitychurch.org, or just text the word Hub City to 97000 and we'll follow up with you in the next few days. While we break for community groups during the summer, we'd love for you to stay connected through men's and women's groups on Wednesday nights at 6. Every year for the 4th of July, our church body serves our community at the Twin Hills Park Firework Display by handing out water, ice pops, and glow sticks. We'd love to have you serve alongside us and enjoy a time of fellowship together as we watch the fireworks. Pastor Tad will share more details about how you can do that. We hope to see you there. As we get ready to enter into corporate worship, if you have kids in service with you, we want you to be at ease. Kids are always welcome in service, and to make things easier, there are coloring sheets in the back of the sanctuary, and we have a nursing mother's room with our service streaming live just outside the lobby to the left. Again, we're so glad you're here. Let's worship Jesus together. I've been here in a few weeks. I forgot uh, you got to turn your mic on before you get up here. So sorry about that. My name is uh, Tad Anderson, and I am the lead teaching pastor here at the Hub City Church. And uh, again, on behalf of our church family, we're so glad you're here to worship Jesus with us uh, today. Uh, I've been out for a couple of weeks, and so first, before I do anything else, I just want to say a quick thanks to our uh, what we call our pastoral council. It consists of our our elders and a few other guys who are just uh, heavily invested in, in various leadership roles here. I'm glad um, that they love the Bible, all of them, and that they teach it well and with passion because uh, every now and again, I need a week or two off, which... Uh, I just got back from David and Josh. Both did a fantastic job keeping us on track in Ephesians. And so uh, if you see them, if you know who they are and you see them, make sure you uh, thank them for all that they do for us. Let them know you appreciate what they do for us as a church family, not just when they preach, but uh, weekly, really. So um, uh, a few announcements I have before we get into the Word. The first one is our uh, 4th of July outreach is coming up. Um, it's on the 4th of July, so uh, and every year we collect, uh, what we do is we collect a ton of bottled water together um, towards the end of June, which it is now, uh, and then we go out collectively as a, a church to Twin Hills Park for the city's 4th of July event, and we kind of uh, camp out there together with our lawn chairs and our, our church tents and all that um, to, to watch the fireworks together at, at 9 o'clock. But leading up to that, as we're, as we're hanging out together, uh, we pass free water out to our community because uh, it tends to be scorching hot uh, on that day, and so people are you know, in the park for hours on end, and we're just like, hey, let's keep people hydrated. It's a good way, uh, like our Easter in the Park outreach earlier in the year, to just love our community together by um, doing something kind that improves the event for everyone, uh, and also it affords us the opportunity to, to get into gospel conversations uh, as we're able to do that. Not everyone 
that we meet wants to talk about Jesus. Most of them just want water, uh, and their kids want you know an ice pop or a glow stick or something like that. Um, but but we do we do have the opportunity to chat with. Uh, families as they come up and uh, let them know who we are as the Hub City Church and why we're out there to share the love of Christ. So uh, we would love for you to join us this year for that. Um, if you'd like, you're welcome to bring a case of uh, 40 water bottles uh, leading up to the fourth. Drop it in the lobby, as some folks have already um, done out there. And if you want to serve with us, just plan to show up uh, at Twin Hills Park on, on the 4th. We'll start uh, setting up around 4 p.m. The actual event is supposed to start at 5, I think, so we'll have some time to set up um, and at the end, we'll watch the fireworks together. Uh, you can come anytime with, within that window if you want to, or you can spend the whole time with us, whatever you want to do. If you have more questions uh, about that, feel free to uh, reach out to me or just grab me after the service. I'd be glad to answer anything for you on that. The second thing is um, we have uh, a handful of organizations that we partner with locally for sake of ministry opportunities and uh, one of those organizations is PATH. PATH uh, is an acronym that stands for Programs for Assistance in Transitioning from Homelessness. Our very own Emily Davidson works for PATH, and so she lets us know uh, about opportunities every now and again where we can show the love of Christ to folks who are usually in very difficult situations uh, in a tangible way. This week she um, texted and she let me know um, about a new family that PATH is working with. Um, it's pretty heartbreaking, actually. They have uh, th three kids, ages uh, one, four, and six, and no one in their family um, really has clothing. Quoting Emily, she said, like each person has one outfit, like the outfit they're wearing. Um, they have one pack of diapers to last them till the end of the month. They have been uh, living in an unair conditioned vehicle for months, and they are very low on real food. And so um, PATH finally got them into an emergency shelter, and Emily did their uh, intake paperwork this week and passed their needs along to us. And so there's a, a printout, I believe, Emily. Okay, there she is. Yep, there's a printout on the connection desk if you would like or if you're able uh, to help provide for any of the listed needs and be a part of helping that family have uh, an opportunity to get back on their feet um, and potentially to be more receptive to hearing the gospel of how God not only provides for our physical needs, but also how his son, Jesus Christ, clothes sinners in his perfect righteousness for sake of their spiritual salvation uh, as well, and more importantly, okay? Um, so if you're interested in that, there is a printout on the desk, or if you want to talk to Emily, I'm sure she's glad to talk with you about that as well. Last announcement is um, that we have a super important team that you may not think very much about called the production team, and they um, make everything that happens on a Sunday morning uh, worship service, they make it run smoothly, lights and sound and the screen and, and all that, and uh, that team needs volunteers. Uh, so if you are techie, maybe that's a team for you. Or if the thought of shaking people's hands on the hospitality team doesn't sound like your cup of tea, uh, or if you are just looking for a place to serve where you know there's a need, uh, this might be it. You don't need any prior experience uh, because they're not going to throw you on the, the soundboard uh, on, on day one or anything. They'll, they'll train you. There's an interest meeting coming up um, next month 
It's going to be on July 23rd, uh, where they'll explain the vision, the objectives, and all that of that team. Um, if you're interested in serving on that team, or you can just talk to uh, David Snelling, and he can tell you more about that. He'll be heading that up, okay? All right, man, whew, that was a lot of announcements. Uh, let's, uh, um, let's go ahead and get back to the book of Ephesians. We are in a series through the New Testament book of Ephesians. It's called Life Together in Christ, because the first half of the letter is a lengthy and beautiful articulation of gospel doctrine. The back half of the letter is uh, mostly application of that doctrine for individuals, families, and churches who are doing life together in Christ. Um, Somehow, we're already in chapter 3, and we'll be here for two weeks, and that will conclude the first half of the letter so that we can move uh, into some more practical stuff. And and I just feel inclined um, to say here that we are a church, the Hub City Church is a church, that puts a high value on sound, what we would call doctrinal teaching that flows out out of an expositional approach to preaching, where we, um, we move logically and linearly through books of the Bible. A lot of churches today uh, have moved away from that for a more um, pragmatic approach that winds up being you know, just totally topical all the time. Uh, cherry-picking would be a term, cherry-picking verses in order to kind of create sermon series like you know, five practices for a happy marriage and seven principles for <clears throat> good parenting or whatever. And, and I'm not saying that those kinds of things are always totally bad, but the Bible is not just a collection of individual verses that stand by themselves. It's a collection of, of units that we call books that each have a context and a flow that we're meant to understand if we want to apply the Bible rightly. And the Apostle Paul, as we've been moving through Ephesians, the Apostle Paul seems uh, to kind of set up this logical flow in his letter to the Ephesian church with the split of, you know, heavy on doctrine on the front end and then practice in the back, right? Uh, And I think by doing that, he communicates to us that a healthy, rich understanding of the truths of the gospel is essential for every other facet of the Christian life because who we are, okay, who we are in Christ is what motivates what we do in the various spheres of living, okay? Gospel doctrine is actually the power for biblical living. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so that was what we saw back in Ephesians uh, 2, to give an example, 2, 1 through 10, right? That, that we are, it says that we were, we were dead in our sin, but God, by his grace, made us alive in Christ through faith, and that the divine injection of the gospel uh, into our hearts, it's, it's made us alive into these new creations who are now um, living to walk in the good works that God has set out for us. So um, I hope that's helpful for you just as far as a, a recap of the, the letter to the Ephesian church, but also kind of our, our philosophy 
here as a church, our philosophy of preaching and teaching, if you will. It's why we preach and teach this way most of the time. Uh, our passage in Ephesians 3 today is actually going to, uh, it's actually going to reiterate a lot of this again in another way. So uh, let's go ahead and we'll read it together and then we'll pray and then we'll dive in and we'll discuss it. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says this, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which uh, was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Father, God, thank you for this beautiful day and this beautiful time together as the body of Christ to sing praises unto you regarding the life-changing truths of the gospel. God, that no matter what battle we're facing, God, we know you have already won the war, the war against sin and and death and the devil. We praise you for that, God. And I pray that as we discuss now the, the mystery of the gospel that has been revealed in Christ from Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, that while maybe this is not new information to us, God, that, that we would, by your Spirit, have a renewed sense of awe regarding what Jesus has made possible for us, namely reconciliation and restoration with you as our Heavenly Father, and that perhaps this would be just the timely reminder that we need to stay on mission, which is our primary purpose and objective in this life as we await Jesus' return. As always, God, I pray that I would decrease and that love and trust in you would increase among this Hub City Church family. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, well, you know, one of the most popular 
uh, subsections, I guess you could say, of, of TV entertainment in our American culture is the mystery genre, right? And I must admit that I, uh, I, I do enjoy a good mystery now and again, and I, I have from the early days of my childhood watching Scooby-Doo and the gang piled up in the mystery machine. It would always, you know, conveniently break down somewhere sketchy with a situation in need of some teenage sleuths. Uh, and they're talking Great Dane. Uh, but even just recently, <clears throat> I started watching a series on the infamous D.B. Cooper, who pulled off the only successful plane heist in American history back in the 1970s. And if you've uh, never heard of it, uh, the thing that was so fascinating and, and mysterious was he got away with it, first of all, uh, but he got away with it by parachuting out of the plane with uh, the $200,000 in cash that he requested. He never got caught, and he never hurt anyone, and apparently he was never even unkind to anyone in the whole process. But anyway, not to spoil it for you, <laughs> spoiler alert, it like happened like 50 years ago, anyway, uh, but uh, the FBI uh, had boiled down in the series, it has boiled down, the FBI boiled down the D.B. Cooper case down to a few uh, possible suspects, and in this series I was watching, uh, they're ultimately trying to persuade you that one of these guys is the real D.B. Cooper, right? And as I was watching, I, I realized something about that mystery. And really, if you've ever watched Scooby-Doo, right, uh, I think rings true as well about other mysteries. Most mysteries are only cool and intriguing because they're mysteries, Right? Like, that's why we're intrigued by mysteries, is just because they're mysteries. Like, the guy they think is D.B. Cooper, he's just like an old veteran guy who wasn't really living a very interesting life after he jumped out of that plane or whatever, right? But uh, that's usually what's behind most mysteries. Some, you know, crotchety old guy trying to get some money illegally and who would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for those meddling kids, right? Um, and when you realize that, and the, the mask is, is pulled off, right, the, the mystery, at least for me, and I'm not you, but the mystery loses all fascination and appeal, right? But what we see in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 3 is that this is not the case with the mystery of the gospel, Right, The gospel is the only mystery that I know of that works the other way around. Right, When people truly have their eyes opened to the mystery of the meaning of life and of history via the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they don't lose interest in it. They become lifelong, diehard zealots for it. And the Apostle Paul, in this passage, he shows himself to be like exhibit A of that reality, right? That the gospel is a mystery-revealing message that makes murderers and moralists alike into ministers on a mission. Okay. Listen to the passage again now through this lens, namely the mystery that changed everything for Paul. 
right? He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it's now been revealed by his uh, holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister, According to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Right. So, so you can tell, maybe now that I've kind of read it that way and emphasized some things, you can tell Paul is stoked on the mystery of the gospel, right? Um, because the language he's using is, is very passionate um, <clears throat> language. I didn't say this contextually, but um, if, if you look at Ephesians 3, what you'll realize is that uh, he starts out about to tell the Ephesians that he's, he's praying for them again, right? But then he segues back into this whole mystery again, because He's so excited about it. He can't, he's like, i got to tell you this again, right? So he, he tells him again, and the next week he's going to get back to the prayer, right? So he, he puts that in the middle, right? So he's, he's passionate about it, and he's actually, contextually speaking, historically speaking, he's writing this from prison. Okay, maybe you didn't know that. Like, that's commitment. The government was like, stop telling people about Jesus. Paul's like, No. <laughs> So they said, okay, then we'll put you in prison. And so he says, well, then I'll tell the guards the gospel, and I'll write letters to people about it, <laughs> right? So it makes you wonder, like, how does a guy get that excited about Jesus? He must have, you know, he must have grown up in church, you know? His grandpa must have been a pastor or something, right? That's how. No. That, that couldn't be further from Paul's background. Uh, he, he hints at it in several places in our passage, but, but Paul was Jewish, okay, and he became a Pharisee or a high-level religious leader within the Jewish community of the first century. And if, if you know anything from the Gospels about Pharisees, you know that they did not like Jesus and they did not like his message, and they actually played a huge role in his eventual crucifixion because they believed that he was a heretic who was lying about being the messianic son of God. Okay, that's Paul's background. And even after the resurrection of Jesus, even though there was so much proof of Jesus' divinity and, and momentum behind the spread of Jesus' church, Paul was a part of a pharisaical initiative to imprison and even execute Christians. Right? So when the Christian church was born, Paul was doubling down trying to stop it. Okay. But in Acts 9, we read that as Paul is going about his 
Christian persecuting business, the resurrected and glorified Jesus appears to him on the road, blinds him, knocks him off his horse, and proceeds to have an unrecorded but apparently very complex chat with him about how his life, death, and resurrection was not only the message that the Jews had been waiting for all along, but also it was the way that God was finally going to fulfill his promise to Abraham and save not just Jews, but Gentiles, non-Jews, from every tribe, tongue, and nation on the earth. So the end of chapter 2 last week was a a detailed explanation of this mystery, and David uh, labored well to help us understand it. Basically, that while God chose Israel as his old covenant people to impart all of his promises and, and law to, and to record their history of stumbling and, and fumbling attempts to follow it to no avail. That's what the Old Testament is, right? Israel trying to do the things God says and being totally unable to do it. Okay, if you've read that. So anyway, so um, that, that he, he's telling, telling us that, that God did that with Israel, right? He did that in order to reveal that it doesn't matter how much anyone knows about God. No one can be made right with God apart from God's grace. And thus, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, a murderer or a moralist, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Okay. And also, in verse 6, Paul kind of restates all of this again plainly. He says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I've summarized this in your notes by saying that this is the mystery. Okay. This is the mystery. Anyone can be saved by faith in the grace of Christ and become part of God's family. Okay. Anyone can be saved by faith in the grace of Christ and become part of God's family. Now, in my, in my first point, I said that the gospel is for murderers and moralists alike. Because that's meant to kind of help you see the broadness of the spectrum, right, of anyone. When I say anyone, this is the spectrum. Murderers and moralists and everything in between that. You see, interestingly, prior to his conversion, Paul was part of both ends of that spectrum, Interestingly enough, right? Uh, He was a super moralistic Jew on one hand, but he was so committed to his religious way of life that he would see people killed who challenged it, right? And so, so back in the last chapter, Paul said it this way in Ephesians 2, 13 through 17. He said, But now in Christ Jesus... 
You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, right, between Jews and Gentiles, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And get this, he says, and he came, and this is Jesus, Jesus came, and he preached peace. That is peace with God, right? He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Okay. He's saying that Jesus came to save the religious people, okay? Those who were near. And he came to save the people who thought they didn't need religion, right? Those who were far off. Because here's the truth, okay? It does not matter if growing up, your daddy was a deacon and your mama played the organ and you graduated from the First Baptist Awanas program with a vest so full of patches, man, you look like a 10-year-old five-star general of Bible memorization. Okay? <laughs> or if you spent your Sundays like as a kid like me, cruising down A1A with your dad to the ABC Liquor in Ponte Vedra Beach, listening to Van Halen's number one hit, Running with the Devil. That was my upbringing, okay? Either way, you need the gospel. Either way, you need the gospel. Religious people need to be saved from the delusional thinking that their religious lifestyle is enough to make them right with God. Because it's not. Okay. And non-religious people need to be saved from their delusional way of living like there is no God. Because there is. Okay? People who are far off need the gospel, and people who are near need the gospel. Jews need the gospel, and Gentiles need the gospel. Baptists need the gospel, and bar-hopping beach bums need the gospel. Murderers need the gospel, And moralists need the gospel. And some people aren't, I'm just going to say it, some people are more polished than others. Or they try harder to look like they have it all together. But really, we are all equally needy of God's grace. Because we're all sinners. We're all equally as sinful. Okay? So when Christ died, he died for all kinds. He died for all kinds, all types. And now the mystery has been revealed that Paul says, 
wasn't made known to previous generations, right? Is that now anyone can be saved by faith in the grace of Christ and become part of God's family, right? In the final chapter of the Bible, here's the proposition of hope for anyone who's looking for it. In Revelation twenty-two seventeen, it says, The Spirit, that is God, and the Bride, that is the church, say, Come. Right? The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Come and take the water of life without price. That is, if you're feeling parched by the brokenness of the world and the deceptive, sinful tonics of the culture, sex, money, power, comfort, that the more we, we drink for satisfaction, the, the thirstier and less fulfilled we become. Right. If that's you, you're parched, then come. Come. Repent of your past and drink the water of life without price, that only Jesus offers you, right? Believe the gospel, friend. Believe the gospel. And forgiveness is yours in Christ. Believe the gospel. And reconciliation with God is yours today in Christ. Believe the gospel And the family of God, the church, is yours. Becomes your family in Christ. Fullness of eternal life and joy is yours in Christ. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your tax bracket is. Does it matter how old you are? Does it matter what you look like? Does it matter what you dress like? Does it matter what you talk like? Does it matter what you vote like? If you're wondering about something else I didn't say, like what about, yes. Or what about that too, okay? Anyone, anyone, I mean anyone, can be saved by faith and the grace of Christ, and become part of God's family. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, Ron. And that's what Paul says, right? The Apostle Paul displays with his life that this is a mystery that when it's revealed, makes you go, woo, right? (laughs) It's so compelling that if you really get it, You'll live your whole life on it. You'll live your whole life on it. The mystery-revealing message of the gospel makes people into ministers on a mission to tell more people about it. Right? That's what it does. 
This is what happened in the life of Paul. He says, of this gospel, he doesn't say this, but I was killing Christians, persecuting the church, trying to stomp it out. But then Jesus explained it to me. And so of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone, to show everybody what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So though he was previously a moralist, who was so moralistic he became a murderer, the gospel made him into a minister on a mission. Just He became a, a missional minister. There's a word for that. A missionary, right? And so now I want to spend the rest of this message pointing out just, just a few characteristics from our text that we see, okay, in Paul that I think we could, we could confidently say are true about all missional ministers, okay? Because uh, as Charles Spurgeon once said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Remember that you're either trying to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there's a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. If you know Christ, he says, you are as one who has found honey and you're going to call other people to come taste it. Right? Now, I don't say this to condemn. I say this to clarify. The gospel changes people. The gospel changes people. And like I said, in the final chapters of the letter, we're going to see a lot of ways that it changes us in the various spheres of life. But the first and foremost thing is that it turns us into missional ministers. Okay, The gospel makes people into missionaries. You don't have to go across the globe to be a missionary. Sometimes you just have to go across the street across the office, or even just across your living room, right? Missionaries are just people, just Christians, who know that they have been called to bring the mystery-revealing message of the gospel to a specific people group, okay? That's what a missionary is. Some missionaries are called to some of the most dangerous places in the world, but it's not any less important to be called to reach your coworkers or your neighbors or your family members because like we said earlier everyone needs the gospel everyone needs the gospel and the mystery of the gospel that salvation is for anyone it's so good it's so compelling people who have come to understand it they can't help but get into conversations with other people about it, right? So I, I know 
You may know some of this already, and we may have even touched on it recently, but I think looking at Paul as a a model here in this passage is is helpful for assisting or assessing ourselves as fellow uh, missional ministers of the gospel. Okay, hopefully this, this, these four things, these four characteristics from the text about missional ministers, hopefully we can use those to examine ourselves and see how we're doing as missionaries. Here's the first one, okay? Missional ministers are humbled by their lack of merit. Missional ministers are humbled by their lack of merit. That is, gospel ministers are not arrogant or boastful, right? They're not caught up in the currents of our culture that have an unhealthy desire to fight and to quarrel. Their mission, their mission is not to show others that they're stupid. That's not the job of a Christian. Some of us need to be reminded of that. Because there's some people in our culture who claim to be committed to the truth who are just out there telling everybody else that they're idiots. There is a conservatism that is not Christian, friends. The mission is not to show others that they're stupid. The mission is to show others that they are loved by God. That they're loved by God. Missionaries are not trying to win arguments for the sake of boosting their egos. They're trying to win souls for the glory of Christ. In our text, Paul says he was made a minister by God's grace and God's power, not his own, right? He refers to himself as the least of all the saints. (laughs) The guy who had the most to brag about because God used him to write the majority of the New Testament. He says, I'm the least of all the saints. He he echoes this in other places. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For I'm the least of the apostles. He wrote more of the New Testament than the other apostles, but he says, I'm the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This is a man who has been humbled. This is a man who's been humbled. He is well acquainted with his own sin. And he knows that he does not deserve to be used by God, but that it's a privilege. It's a privilege. 
You ever met someone who just, they just always talk about how much they're doing for the Lord and who acted like, you know, everyone else is just lucky to have them around. Missional ministers don't talk like that. Missional ministers are not like that. Because first of all, they know the gospel. And because they know the gospel, they know that God doesn't need them. God doesn't need any, anyone. He's God. Missional ministers know that God doesn't need them and that the mission could get along just fine without them. Genuine gospel-enthralled missionaries are just excited to be along for the ride, witnessing what God is doing as he saves people for himself. Right? So that's, that's the first quality we see in Paul. And that I and we should hope to increasingly see in ourselves, right? As missional ministers, we should be humbled by our lack of merit. We didn't do anything to deserve God choosing us or using us, right? It's all by his grace. That's number one. Here's number two. It kind of flows out of that. In their gospel birth humility, missional ministers reckon themselves vessels for stewarding God's grace, okay? Missional ministers reckon themselves vessels for stewarding God's grace. That is, missionaries view their lives as worth pouring out all that God has given them for the sake of others. We see this in verse 2. Paul says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, right? Is that the language? <laughs> Assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, it was given to me for you. This should be our mindset, church. While God provides for our needs, nothing that we have has been given to us just for us. We have been blessed in order to be a blessing to others. <clears throat> this is why we read in Acts 2 and Acts 4 at the birth of the church that one of the defining characteristics was their generosity, right? They were sharing everything they had with one another as anyone had need. You see, <clears throat> as believers, we view everything as belonging ultimately to God and we view ourselves as managers of the particular things that he's put within our charge. I think I've heard this today at some other point. <laughs> I'm not trying to give another offering talk, okay? Jason literally just said this. Thanks, Jason. He hadn't seen my notes, so thank you, Holy Spirit, right? So we're managers, and everything ultimately belongs to God. But rationalize this with me, okay? The most valuable thing that we have is what? The gospel. The message of God's grace, right? And so 
the, the New Testament rationale for why we should be willing to be generous with our money and our time and our other resources is because we're already giving away the most valuable thing, right? Like, we're already giving away the gospel, right? And so our vehicles, our houses, our stuff, it's all God's grace to us. And grace is meant to be shared. And all of those lesser graces are meant to be shared for the end goal of sharing the most amazing grace of all, which is the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So that's number two. Okay? Missional ministers view themselves as jars of clay, vessels that exist to contain and then pour out grace in service to others who need it. Okay? Here's number three, the one you knew that was, was coming. Okay? Missional ministers proclaim God's pardon and plan for sinful people in Christ for the purpose of God's glory. Missional ministers proclaim God's pardon and plan for sinful people in Christ for the purpose of God's glory. He says in verse 8, he says, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Guys, I, I know I say this all the time. Our church says this all the time but we have to keep coming back to it. We have to keep coming back to this because it really is the main thing. This really is the main thing. If you're a Christian, you're a missionary. Okay. If you're a Christian, you're a missionary. You're a missional minister. Your main objective in life should be to tell other people the gospel. Okay. Some of y'all, you have really cool jobs, way cooler than mine, okay? Um, but your job is not mainly what your life is about. You got a really cool job, but that's not what your life's about. Some of y'all have kids who are really great at sports, but your kid's travel ball team for dang sure ain't what your life is mainly about. A lot of y'all have beautiful families. But making a great, happy, healthy, earthly family is not what your life is mainly about. Some of y'all are thinking about retirement and what you're going to do when you don't have to work anymore. But getting to a comfortable place in life where you can kick your feet up and do whatever you want is not what your life is all about. If you are a Christian, your life is about getting the gospel to more people who are going to die and be separated from God forever if they don't trust Jesus. 
Okay? That's what missional ministers live for. To tell people about how they can receive God's pardon for all of their sin by repenting and placing their faith in Jesus who died for them on the cross and rose again to prove that only he is worthy of being both their Savior and their Lord. As a pastor, there are, there are a lot of things I have to worry about regarding this church. Budgets and teams and events and groups and all the administrative minutia that goes along with all of that. When I pulled in the parking lot this morning, I was like, dang, we really need to mow. And I don't expect anybody else to be thinking about stuff like that except me. It just comes with the territory, all right? But unequivocally, the most important thing to me is if we are a church that actually is telling other people about Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> That's the most important thing. Because if we're not, then all the budgets and the teams and the events and the groups are just a facade. And all of this is pointless if we're not increasingly getting into conversations with others about the redemptive plan of God to glorify himself through his church made up of reconciled sinners who have been saved by grace. None of this matters if that doesn't matter most. Okay. 1 Peter 2 says, But you're a chosen race, speaking of the church, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what the church is all about. It couldn't be more clear in the Bible. This is what the church is all about. Us proclaiming the excellencies of Christ to others. Us appealing to others, pleading with others to be reconciled to God in Christ. Do I want, for this church, okay, and for you, do I want you to have friends and a community here? Yes. Do I want you to have a, a better marriage because of Jesus? Absolutely. Do I want you to be a better parent and a better Financial steward, 100% I do. But all of that is subsequent. All of that is subsequent to you being a missional minister for the gospel. If you'll worry most about the gospel, knowing Jesus and sharing Jesus, that other stuff's going to work itself out. Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and I'll help you with the other stuff. That's my paraphrase, okay? I'm not saying it's like magic. It does still take work, but it's a matter of priorities is what Jesus says. When you get the big stuff set properly, the other things begin to get worked out too, okay? So Paul is our example of a missional minister of the gospel. 
He's humbled by his own lack of merit. He reckons himself a vessel for stewarding God's very grace. He proclaims God's pardon and plan for sinful people in Christ for the purpose of God's glory. And finally, the last thing we see... Sorry, this has gone a little longer than I thought, okay? (laughs) The last thing we see, and that we should hope to see growing in ourselves as well, is that as missionaries, we should estimate our circumstances as of little consequence. Missionaries estimate their circumstances as of little consequence. Guys, I don't claim to fully grasp the hugeness of this part of the text. I don't know if you even picked up on it the first time I read it, but but Paul says that we, as the church, the new covenant people of God, saved by grace through faith in Jesus, we, part of the reason that we are here and part of the reason that we're on this mission to see more people come into the family of God is because... We are on an eternal stage of sorts, okay? John Calvin famously said that the world was made to be a theater of divine glory, okay? Not advocating for everything John Calvin said, but this is true. The world was made to be a theater of divine glory. And what we see in our text is that what is going on between us and Christ because of the gospel, namely our reconciled relationship with him, what's going on between us is at the center because it puts on full display the incredible love and mercy of God for spiritual entities to behold that are outside of our imagination. You're like, this just took a turn I didn't see coming. Okay, so he says, I mean, the text says it. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to Ron. No. So that Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Right? Like, so while we, as humanity, are the only beings in all of creation made in the image of God, okay? Theologically speaking, okay? We are by far not the only intelligent beings made by God. You're like, aliens, I knew it. No, okay, no, that's not what I'm saying. (laughs) There are countless beings, some of whom we know about, many of whom we don't. Jesus speaks of legions of angels who are at his disposal. The Apostle John 
speaks of myriads upon myriads and thousands of thousands of heavenly beings, which is into the millions if you're doing the math, around the throne of God in worship right now. Not to mention Satan and his demons. And what God is doing in and through us as the church with the gospel, Paul says, um, he's doing it to display the full glory of his manifold, that is his multifaceted wisdom. So that in the end, okay, in the very end, many will worship, some will be punished, but all will bow in honor of Christ who God has exalted as the sovereign king of his eternal kingdom. Okay. I don't claim to fully grasp all this, okay? And so in verse 13, Paul says, so I ask you, so he says that, and he's like, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. In other words, he's saying, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. I'm in prison for the gospel and for you, but this is of little consequence to me in the grand scheme of things, right? In 2 Corinthians 4, he echoes this. He says, for it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, that is, as the gospel goes out, like we've talked about, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And if you've read the New Testament, you know, Paul says this same kind of thing several times in his letters to the churches in order to help us understand. As missional ministers of the gospel, while we can't help as finite beings being constrained to the fluctuation of temporal circumstances, we should be growing day by day in our eternal perspective. right? So that while life is going to be inevitably wrought with pain and suffering, those things affect us negatively less and less because we know what's coming to us. We know what's coming to us at the return of Christ. It's going to make the former things of this life pale in comparison. It can make these things no longer worth remembering. So we should strive to estimate our circumstances as of little consequence. I'm not being insensitive. We should still bear one another's burdens. We should still weep with those who weep. But fellow Christian, the most difficult and painful moments of this life are going to seem like they are a million miles away and too insignificant for you to ever dwell on again when you're with Jesus. 
couple weeks ago, I was out of town. I was in New Orleans for the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention, which um, it's like a church business meeting with 19,000 people in it. Um, so uh, like any business meeting, there was some time of worship and there were some reports from the entities and there was some drama. You know, if you've been to a church business meeting, you know how it goes. But without a doubt, the most incredible point of the, of the meeting was when the IMB, that is the International Mission Board, introduced all of their new missionaries that have been raised up since the last meeting last year. You'll be glad to know, 79 new missionaries, our convention of churches, sent this year to all parts of the globe for the same reason that we discuss in our text today. (laughs) Because they are all enthralled with the mystery-revealing message of the gospel that anyone can be saved by faith and the grace of Christ and become part of God's family. That's what's on the minds of all those 79 missionaries, right? And you're watching this ceremony, right? And so, you know, they're, they're being, these missionaries are literally being commissioned here, right? They're being sent out to go and take the message of the gospel to the nations. And at first, the couples or the individuals who are missionaries, they, they, they walk out on the stage, kind of like this, and into the stage lighting. They introduce themselves, and they say, you know, kind of their upbringing and how they got, came to the point of feeling called to be a missionary and, and where they're going and all that, you know, um, and everybody celebrates. But about halfway through this ceremony, you realize the new couples or the new individuals are not walking out into the stage lighting and the spotlight anymore. They're behind a white screen. And the light's not on them, it's it's at their back. So that all you can see is their their silhouette. And their last names are, they share their first names, their last names are not shared. I think we have a picture, I took a picture, you can see that around my big head here, you can see the white screen and the silhouette of this couple who's going to northern Africa and the Middle East, right? And the reason they're behind that screen is because the parts of the world where they're going to take the message of the gospel are too dangerous for this gathering to see their faces and their names paired together with where they're going. It's too dangerous to do that. It's in protection of them that they're behind that screen. Because these families have been so captivated by the same gospel that we believe, that I just preached to you today, that they are going to potentially put themselves and their families in harm's way to tell more people about Jesus. They truly estimate their circumstances to be of little consequence. Considering the the grand scheme of the grace and the glory of God, that is their motivation. I don't know if you've made the connection, but when you give through our church on Sunday mornings, like your money in part is going to support missionaries like that. 
think that's pretty awesome. I don't know about you. I think it's pretty, pretty cool. Um, but here's what I'm going to close with. Let's not think about it as us and them, right? The missionaries and then just the average church folk. Let's not think about it that way because we're not different. We're not different. We're the same. As Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter, right? So let's not be a church that only supports missionaries financially. But let's be a church who considers themselves to be missionaries too. Okay. Vessels for the stewardship of God's grace who live to proclaim the pardon and plan for sinners in Christ. <laughs> what a beautiful mystery that we get to be a part of that, that I get to be a part of that. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, you are so good. Your gospel and the mystery that it reveals to us how we can be saved it's amazing. It's, it's life-changing. It's life-altering. And Father, I just pray, God, this is convicting for myself. I pray that this would be sweetly convicting for all the men and women in this room who call themselves Christians. God, that we would realize that there's, <laughs> there's no difference in function between someone who calls himself Christian and someone who is a Christian missionary. The call is the same. The function is the same, to take the mystery of the gospel to as many people as we can, that they might be saved by faith in the grace of Christ. God, help us to be a missional church. Help me to be a missional man. Help us to be missional people, God. It's so easy to grow comfortable and to not make this connection, but it's undeniable in your word. And so I pray that... You would help us, God. Empower us by your spirit. We can't do it apart from you. We didn't save ourselves, and so we can't send ourselves. You need to do it. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.